Don't worry about a thing. Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright. Don't worry about a thing. Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright. If you got a tummy ache, or you don't feel right, or if you have a nasty rash, keeping you up at night. Don't worry, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry. Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright. I'm Ilana Rasbash, and this is Radio Architecture. Good evening from beautiful Bunurong country. I'm so lucky to be able to live, work, play and broadcast to you live on Radio Karam from this wonderful place. Tonight, I'm joined in the studio by Mitch Carter, a long-time City of Kingston local and currently residing in Mordialic. He's an architectural graduate on his pathway in the future to becoming a registered architect. And he's taken notice of some of the wonderful recent developments in public amenities infrastructure around his home suburb, around Mordialic. And he's on joining me here in the studio live tonight to talk about some of these public toilets. So thank you so much to everyone who's tuning in for another episode of Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash this evening. You, As always, you can text into the studio on 0493-213-831. And if you miss those numbers, the contact button on our Instagram page will also te- take you through there. So please text in some questions and any contributions to the conversation tonight. This is a topic that Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's very serious, and for most people, quite close to their heart. So, welcome tonight, Mitch. Thank you so much for having me. How are you going? I'm so good. <laughs> this is um, the eighth show already. and Congratulations. It only took eight episodes to get onto public toilets. <laughs> so, I'm really glad. busting. <laughs> I am absolutely <laughs> busting. We'll try to keep the puns <laughs> under, control, <laughs> under control tonight, but they inevitably slip out. Um, <laughs> And I think that's that's quite okay. I'm wondering, Mitch, how did you choose architecture? How did I choose architecture? Um, it's kind of funny. It's a bit anticlimactic. Um, anti- yeah, I went to the open days for um, for fine arts. I was I was always interested in, in creative things in high school. Um, I did like photography, music creation. Um, I did arts, and yeah, when it came time to pick universities. Uh, I went to all of the, the fine arts open days, um, but uh, my partner at the time was uh, going into architecture and um, so I went with her to all of the, the architecture open days as well and it just looked cooler. I don't know. I sort of, I honestly kind of just decided It sucked then, you like, in. Yeah, well, because, the, you know, the, there's so much more um, like artistry and, and creativity in architecture than you, than you might think as an outsider, you know, like I, I never would have expected it to be so creatively interesting. As a high schooler interested in, in fine arts, um, you know, I was really taken aback by by just how cool and interesting these drawings and models were by the architecture students. Um, and yeah, pretty much from that point on, I, I, I put well, architecture as my preference. Yeah. We're glad to have you. You're a wonderful designer and a very good photographer, as you have been sharing this week on your Instagram, some of the excellent photos of public facilities around Mordialic that have caught your eye. I also want to ask one last question from this origin mm-hmm. story of how, how we got to this moment. Of What's your earliest memory of a building or place? <laughs> um, I think <laughs> the, the, earliest, the earliest kind of interesting memory was in, um, in, in a new home we had just – 
we were just moving into. Um, we, we, we actually got it built. So I sort of, I saw it go up, which was interesting. I remember going up the, the stairs before they were like all finished and compliant. You were kind of going like across the different, up the different planks and being very careful about it when I was like, I don't know, like five or something like that. That sounds like a sketchy high ropes course. So sketchy. Uh, heaps of fun. Really good time. I had a, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, the, when it, when it was all finally done, um, we, we went there and in, in my excitement, um, I saw, I saw my mum out on the balcony and I was just so psyched to be there, ran out to her and went straight through the fly screen. Oh no. Straight through the new fly screen. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. I I don't remember it hurting. It was just like all of a sudden it was there. (laughs) Those moments happen and surprises get us. And I, I think that's why this, this topic, um, of public toilets that will be on tonight is actually really, really important because it <laughs> totally. services the needs of some often things that are unexpected, sometimes planned for. Some people can't even leave home um, for a number of reasons without totally. knowing what these locations are. Some people drive for work and depend on these um, facilities, need to know where a public toilet is, yeah. say they're driving Uber or delivery or even um, armor guard or something. They, they'll yep. all rely on these facilities or even council workers. Yeah. So... What what got you interested? What what caught your eye about the latest um, new build by K twenty Architecture? Yeah, well, look, I I really wasn't so aware of, of of just how dependent some people were on public toilets before I got, um, but before I sort of you know this this interest was, was sprung it, yeah. on me by K twenty's um, beautiful uh, changing places facility in in Mordialic. Um it sort of it it was it was a a product of the lockdown and the that that five k radius and and going on the daily walks and that was the time that they were building it so I sort of saw it happen I saw it be built slowly over time, um, you know and when something like that happens in a in a prominent place like it so it, people the, notice people know yeah <laughs> um, it, so it's located in 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 Mordialic, right in between the the pier and um, the Tour de Café. Which the, is an excellent cycling café for anyone who rides Beach Road. Yeah, they all know it. We all know it. Um, so, you know, it takes up a prominent bit of space where it was. And when it was being built, the part of that pathway, that walk to the pier and back was um, was obstructed. So you, you, you definitely noticed it. And, yeah, really slowly, I had no idea what it was going to be at first. I mean, yeah, it just was in my, in my neighbourhood on my my daily exercise walk. And, um, and then when it got built, it was fantastic. We sort of, after the lockdowns, I sort of, I went back down there one time and noticed that, um, yeah, this really beautiful structure had, had popped up. It's this like sand colored brick that curves out of the ground on either side. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really beautiful toilet. And, and Scallops, I sort of, right? In some moments, there's a yeah, sandcastle. Yeah. In some moments, there's seashells. It's, it's very of its place. It's right near the beach, like totally. 100 metres, no more. But yeah, exactly, exactly. I th- and I think, I, I actually, I really like that motif because looking into it more, I mean, the, the great thing about that toilet is that it's, a, it's also a changing places facility, um, which is a, a, a place where people can... Uh, a, it has the facility for an adult to change themselves um, if, you know, b- because of whatever disability they, they need that in order, in order to go out and be in public. They can't go out into public unless they have a place that they can change. Um, and, the, and, the, and the really wonderful thing about that motif of, of seashells and, you know, the sand-coloured bricks and the way that the, the form of the building is in the shape of seashells in a way as if it's being created from seashells, as if it's like a kind of sandcastle in itself made of the place is um, it's really like kind of poetic to me because it, it speaks to the thing that, you know, this portion of the community can now do more pe- because of this facility, you know, a, a significant portion of, of the, the city, the, the Kingston community can now go to the toilet and play in the sand. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, can go to the beach and play in the sand because they have this new public toilet, this changing places facility. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like that that aspect of it a lot. It's really important for people that aren't familiar with it. It, it is um, actually part of the building code is required in certain really large public buildings. But 
to, for it to be included in this way at the local beach in the public realm, it is very, very forward thinking and forward moving of Kingston City Council and really important, as well as providing um, the conventional facilities that members of the public will be used to and listeners are, of course, familiar with. The changing places actually at the back and people need a special key called the yeah, MLAC right. key to access it. Um, they, they often need the support of a carer to be or multiple carers sometimes to be changed or assisted in there. Yep. But this allows people to really actively participate in the public realm. How's the legislation around public toilets? So glad you asked. <laughs> it's, it, it, it is so surprising. You know, you mentioned the, the NCC, the National Construction Code, and how it, it, it says that we need to have changing places facilities in some larger, larger buildings. And there's a whole range of uh, legislations, regulations around um, toilets in buildings. You know, we really regulate regulate the hell out of it. Like it's, you know, um, but it's, some people might be surprised that there's actually no legislative requirement um, for public toilets, for, for councils to provide public toilets. You know, when they make public toilets, there are legislations around what they need to, what they need to do, their accessibility. Um, but there's, there's absolutely no requirement for them to be provided in the first place. Freestanding, detached from a building for, for our listeners. Exactly. We'll flag that any building you build, there's minimum regulatory numbers that have to be matched. Um, and and yep. those are quite prescriptive as a bare minimum. But this is, this is the freestanding typology that we're talking about today. This, this object, this single, the single building out in the public realm, in a park, in a car park, near the beach... Yeah, exactly. No legislative requirements. Yeah, no. Wow. Crazy, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Because it's such a feature and a need of the human condition. And we provide so many other things that are deemed in many ways compulsory and things that provide safety to people in the public realm and comfort. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, sort of on this, this lack of um, regulation, um, Catherine Weber actually pro- has, has made a bit of a proposal for um, a national public, uh, like to- set of national public toilet principles to create some regulations. Um, she did this in 2021. And it's just like really basic things to require councils to sort of consider public toilets in relation to, you know, the health and safety of the people who live in, in, in their cities and, and shires. Um, and yeah, I, I think it would be really, it's it sort of, it's something that's completely missing, I think, you know, from, from our urban design thinking. Some councils were clearly Kingston's doing the right thing here and is really investing in many of the Long Beach facilities, but from the life-saving club upgrades at the moment that have a publicly accessible but integral public facilities, meaning they're part of the building, the, the public toilets are right there, you can just walk up to it, and then these freestanding ones. But are there city councils that don't have this policy at all? Yeah, no. So I, I think, like, to be clear on it, many cities do see the benefit in providing public toilets to the people who live there because there are many and it is and it is clear and, and you know, um, it really provides a great benefit to, to people's lives and, and economically and from a tourist perspective and all that stuff, and councils get that. Um, so most most councils cities shires in um in in victoria do have proper public toilet plans and you know they got their visions and they're <laughs> they're they're aspiring for great things but you know that even in victoria there are a handful that don't have one um yeah that's really shocking yeah yeah it is it is and then some sometimes they they're planned with these um defensive People call it hostile architecture. I don't necessarily like the term, but it's a, these defensive principles um, to, d- to detract people from coming or using or staying too long. It's The acronym is SEPTED, but it means crime prevention through environmental design yeah. for our listeners. And that that you can always really read when that's been at the forefront of design. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, totally. No, c- completely. Um, SEPTED... Um, you know, it, 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 it really takes this position of trying to... It, it often seems to take a position of trying to make a place so unattractive that, you know, quote-unquote unwanted space users um, won't come near it. The, the, 
um, that people, you know, won't won't go and vandalize it, and 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 to do that, they'll sort of, you know, light it really intensely and not provide any chairs around these public toilets, or, you know, you see a lot of um, a lot of public benches that are that are designed to sort of not allow someone to to sleep on them. That's sort of a a septed kind of response, um, and I think that it sort of it kind of it kind of misses the the, the point and the benefit that that architecture and, and good design can create in a community. And it's obviously like a public, a good public toilet isn't going to solve all of, all of, all of society's problems. You're still going to have people who will like, for example, use drugs or something, you know, and, and if you don't have say a safe injecting room nearby, well then they're going to do it at the public toilet. And by making that public toilet, um, less attractive overall to try and determine them, uh, to try and deter them. Um, you know, one, they're not necessarily going to not go there, but two, you're going to negatively impact all of the people who need to use this public toilet um, on a regular basis. And, you know, these are all kinds of people. That's exactly my feeling that sometimes when we take these uh, defensive principles too far, for reg- often regulatory reasons, no architect actually wants to do it. It's often a necessity placed upon us, or a predicament required by the stakeholders. And all all public work is a compromise for everyone involved in order to reach what we think is the consensus of the best outcome for everyone. And it's a very collaborative process, but it definitely comes to a point where we deprive most of the people and most of the public from an, for a, of an opportunity to have a dignified moment, a beautiful moment, a relaxing moment, <laughs> yeah. where if we so aggressively pursue designing for the lowest common denominator, then like what else aspiration does that, does that lend to us all? Yeah, totally, totally. No, um, you know, thinking about some of these like really hostile public toilet blocks um, that we design in the with with the hopes of deterring unwanted space users just reminds makes me think about like you know how much we we lose in doing that. There are some like really really cool public toilets abroad, and um, there's there's like one in particular in Norway where um, it's like all reflect it's it's on uh, it's on like a scenic road in Norway. And this like beautiful concrete structure comes out of the ground and it, it nestles and holds this, uh, you know, aluminium reflective amenity that has uh, two or three cubicles that have like the wash basin and everything contained in it. And you go in that, that cubicle and the, this might sound intimidating, but the whole wall is, is, is glass, but there's no, it's sort of somewhat reflective from the other side so you do have a bit of one way glass but also it's not an accessible view that you have it's of a beautiful stream and rocky landscape norwegian fjord i'm I'm thinking exactly exactly and i know that um you know andrew maynard of of austin maynard architects like when whenever whenever they can they'll design the toilets in their houses to have a to have a view a loo with a view always and and it's just not something that you get when your your main focus in in designing these public toilets is making people not want to use them to keep others out as well. You raise a really interesting point though about the policy, the policy that exists in parallel and symbiotically tends to unfold um, at, at the same time where that where that where that where that policy needs to be developed. Really, at the at the, at the same time, you can't um, kick someone out of the public space and expect and expect them to go away when there's nothing else supporting them um, and looking at the the situation holistically. But that really points in many ways very quickly towards how public toilets and all of human history seem to be the battlegrounds for our moral panics. Totally, and for these frustrations and often the persecution and victimising of minority groups over, over history and over time. How, is, how have you uncovered that in your research? How have yeah, those the, stories played out? The, the, the story of, of public toilets is, is, a, is a story of, of social progression 
and it always has been. Like it, it, it just, it just entirely is. You know, like the the, the first public toilets, are, uh, the Romans had them, right? And and we hold, you know, the Roman the Roman Empire with such high regard, I guess, in 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 what that in a Eurocentric society, society. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. Um, but but you know, even even more recently, you know, um, Melbourne Melbourne got the first public toilets in Australia. Right, and the city really pushed for that. The city of Melbourne, back in the in like the mid eighteen hundreds, around the gold rush, um, you know, really pushed for that because the public toilets represented a, a, a progressive modern city. You know, like they they they, they had just been invented um, in the eighteen fifties in in England, and um, and and the city installed them, and it, and, it, and it was a symbol of of how progressive we are. It was just like the the street lamps. You know, and, and just like the street lamps, um, you know, they were seen as uh, as an amenity for society, these toilets. Um, but even at that time, um, those public toilets were, were – people were going against them. People um, didn't – you know, NIMBYs, not in my backyard. They thought that – um, having a toilet, even though the ones that we're talking about are the, the underground public toilets in the city of Melbourne, you can still see one. Um, near the GPO, I near think. Near the GPO. And That's right. blocked up near Flinders Street. There's a number that have been blocked up. but most, I think most open. of them have been blocked up. There, there were 11 in total. Um, yeah, they were really cool. They, yeah. Um, but the, even that, that first one, um, there, was, there was pushback from the local establishments. The... Um, there was like a, a local bank and um, yeah, several other businesses that were like even the site of the the Palisade sort of fencing and the the men's and and women's above um, was too much indecency to have in public and that that such indecent things should not be should not be seen in public. Apparently, even the AIA kind of had that opinion. The or the Institute of Architects. I, th- I don't think there was an Australian Institute of Architects at that time, but. But the sort of, you know, the body that represented architects at the time had this opinion that public toilets should be hidden away. That's pretty horrifying. I know, shameful. Well, shameful. they have an opportunity to advocate at the moment. That's right. <laughs> but just, just this week, it seems to really be the week for toilet talk in our industry, dear listeners, because Parler, a very progressive industry a body and advocacy group for equ- equity, equality and gender in our profession – um, shared some really important, interesting content, including the current submission to the Australian Building Codes, Codes Board being put together by Alison Cox. And for the, all the built environment professionals listening at the moment, you have a great opportunity to offer and add your name and offer your um, thoughts to support the submission or put in your own to change the National Construction Code in 2025 to include all gender facilities and this is a really really important moment and a chance that architecture is in service of the problem architecture doesn't always get a chance to fix problems but we have an excellent opportunity now to to come together and move move us and move a society in the direction of 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 supporting that change so apologies mitch a little segue but i thought it was important public service announcement totally this evening yeah no it's it's a really interesting one as well because it's not just being able to provide um you know all gender facilities where you would previously have to provide um you know separate male and female ones um it's also just that language all gender because you know everyone would sort of be aware of the fact that unisex toilets exist um, but we're required to label them as such unisex to, to label them as all gender is, um, you know, is a performance solution. We got to, it's, <laughs> gotta, yeah, it's not compliant it. <laughs> with the construction code. That's right. It, it does. It's a hoop put, you have to jump through. Exactly. And there are ways through it with the right motivations. Totally. Nothing is that hard where there's a will, there's a way I always say, but it does present a challenge for, um, building owners, for clients, for, professionals working on the project and this is my little prediction but I feel that going forward once we get over this very necessary moment um, get over the hump from a legislative perspective so to speak the law will support the progress we want to see much like the changes socially in our society that was felt 
after the marriage equality plebiscite vote. And that was a very difficult and painful time for much of the LGBTQIA plus community that had to suffer a plebiscite and fight for their own rights in that process. But as a result, when the law supported people for marriage equality, we came to a place where society shifted with that. And my little prediction, you heard it here first on Radio Karam, is that our building cultural, architectural culture and our society at large will shift with this NCC change. So it's very important if you're in a position to offer your contributions to these submissions or write your own, please do so. But to sidestep from the call to arms is the thought that we we shape our cities and our cities shape us. So this is a natural assumption, isn't it, Mitch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. No, I totally agree with that. Actually, to sort of sidestep right back to it, I just want to tie up, um, you know, why all gender is is an important uh, distinction instead of, instead of unisex because it's sort of just um, the language around it. Why would that change? what it's like to go to the toilet. Um, but, you know, the reality for many people is that, um, you know, they don't identify with that that gender binary and, and having to choose a toilet that, you know, literally just through its language enforces that gender binary, um, you know, is, is a bit of a confronting situation that, you know, is really not ideal. And there's no need to be putting people through that stress. Oh. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, you know, there, there's there's really like solid evidence and data out there that you know uh, tra- trans people in, in particular like will just avoid the toilet if they don't have somewhere that they feel comfortable going and that can lead to all sorts of issues you know uh, medical as well you know ter- terrible health outcomes uh, and not not to mention stress outcomes in general but exactly if, if we think it's about, isolating yeah if, if we think about um groups who really also really benefit from improved legislation uh, and regulation around and the ability to to do this under the NCC a bit bit easier um, is primary schools. And when we build primary schools, one of the most important things is to be able to supervise kids so they're safe and comfortable and using amenities. They're not bullying each other. They're not running the tap and flooding the whole bathroom. Uh, And private floor-to-ceiling Separate cabins also support children feeling safe and happy at school. Um, so it, it really, in many ways, it completely transcends the gender question. And even imagine in a workplace, you want to brush your teeth after lunch or something. You don't necessarily want everyone seeing you do that. So there's so many ways this is going to benefit everyone, right? Yeah. If you like, yeah. If if we provide cubicles that have the the sink within them and you know the floor to ceiling door and yeah that privacy. No, totally. Like, you know, like like you say that um, these changes that 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 many people think only benefit a few often end up benefiting you know the majority of people. Absolutely. Pretty much all safety and accessibility measures um, end up going that way. It's like subtitles. There's an overwhelming statistic that. Um, so many hearing people actually use, rely on and want subtitles on constantly on their TV. Yeah, yeah. No, no, totally. Um, my, yeah, Pedestrian my, crossings? I, I, I never used to use subtitles, um, but but my partner does. And since then, now I always use subtitles. It's crazy. It's really interesting. It's actually such a benefit. <laughs> this will it's be funny. the same. Yeah, totally. And totally. I think our grandchildren will laugh at us for being dinosaurs in the <laughs> process, but we are moving through it um, in the cultural moment and I'm proud of Australia in a way that it's not causing the same moral panic as it is, I think, in tra- in America. But we need to be incredibly vigilant about transphobia and trans misogyny especially yeah. um, and, and, and be a, at the forefront really of, of speaking out against that. Yeah, totally. We had um, a question come in. This is very exciting. It's from Jack and James in Collingwood. Do Alana and Mitch have a favourite public toilet design in Melbourne? Ooh, I think I stole your one. Go for it. You go uh, first. K- KTA's um, public toilet. Where? That's Kirsten Thompson, our current gold medal winner. Legend. Where is that one? It's on the way to Bendigo. It's on the highway. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. What captivates me about that project? The Jock Comedy Reserve amenities, 2019. Oh, very good. Got it. From the Mind Palace, Mitch. Very good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's often these roadside bathrooms on a freeway are the scariest places I could possibly imagine. I think people road trip, think about Wolf Creek, <laughs> go down some sort of tangent of being afraid of, and they look scary. They're dark. They're poorly lit. And then this project by Kirsten Thompson Architects, it glows, doesn't it, Mitch? It's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. It's lit up. It's polycarbonate. It is bright. Yep. The cubicle doors open up onto the car park, the freeway, so they're fully visible. You know, your people who are with you can observe your safety, which is one of the safest ways to design public toilets without any um, kind of cul-de-sac yep. or, or corners or twists and turns. The door opens straight out. Yeah, no, it's 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 such a beautiful structure. It's it's um, this really long linear um, public toilet, and that polycarbonate, you know, semi-transparent uh, material that you're talking about, that is sort of opaque enough to provide complete privacy, um, but transparent enough to sort of let the the light in and passively light it, and then glow at night um, when the artificial lights are on. Sort of uh, it curves like a ribbon, ribbon up this this linear structure. Um, and the roof above it provides protection. It looks um, like it floats too. It, yeah. It hovers. Yeah, it's awesome. And they have these really good chain gutters as well. Oh, rain chains. I, yeah, love them. Japanese there. style. They, they came to the Australian scene from Japan, very popular in areas of high rainfall. Yeah, they're, they're so good. And um, and yeah, no, each each of the toilets is a, is a self-contained unit. Um, so it's, it's actually like the gold standard um, for public toilet amenities as well people have complete privacy to do whatever they need to do most people just need to go to the toilet but yeah like i said people need to um you know you uh, have take take medicine or um you know like muslim people for example perform ablutions like to have that that whole space to yourself is so important and especially in a culturally diverse area where it is um it's a really incredible amenity and that long linear nature of the toilet means that there's it's the it's really easy to passively surveil yeah it's a it's a a great design safe outstanding award winner (laughs) for good reason yeah i i think it's worth also just making it super clear for the listeners the kind of gold standard design that we're advocating for in all gender facilities that we'd like to see everywhere it's basically the same experience as using an airplane cubicle toilet. You go in, you close the door, it's fully private, it's all yours. Maybe a bit more spacious. Oh, definitely more spacious. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, less turbulence. Certainly more, less turbulence <laughs> and more spacious. But that that level of privacy and comfort and amenity is what we'd love to see. Um we have another question that's come in. The phone's ringing right, hot tonight right. because public toilets are really important. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And this question has come all the way from Adelaide. Get out of here. Hamish from Adelaide said, you talked about avoidance of public facilities, hostile architecture, gendering of spaces, etc. Does this undermine the public in the public toilet? And if it's not for everyone, is it public? Fantastic question and provocation, Hamish. Thank you so much for sending that one through. And also a very big thank you for Jack and James earlier for asking about our favourite toilet. If it's not for everyone, is it public? Totally. It's completely useless for, for, for a portion of, of the community, right? It doesn't, doesn't mean anything for them if it's not, if it's not accessible or if it, you know, for, to, to loop it back to the Changing Places facility in Morty Alec, um, you know, that, that provides amenity to um, people with disabilities like no other public toilet in the area does. Um, I, I completely agree. Yeah, no, public, public toilets, public amenities, To th- you know, it's a good word to think about them more broadly than just toilets because they're public amenities, um, can do so much for, for the community and for society and they can facilitate, um, uh, yeah, so, so much more than many of them currently do. For getting people out of the out of the home and into the public realm to be included to participate in society mm-hmm. that's what it's about and for a while women weren't 
women were excluded from public life, really. And, yeah. And how, how did that begin in your, in okay. your history of there is, women's inclusion as there well? There was a 43-year gap between the first public toilet for men and the first public toilet for women. Whoa, whoa, whoa. In <laughs> 43 years. 43 gap. years. Yeah. Between the first public toilet for men and the first public toilet for women. The f- yeah, the first public toilet for men, um, it, it was in 1859, um, a pissoir, a French invention, um, which is it was basically just a, a, a urinal with um, some privacy screening that went directly into the gutter. Um, but, and the, Grim. Yeah. Well, that's all it was back then as well before, um, before, the, before the sewerage system came in. Everything just went into the Yarra. And then there was a typhoid outbreak and public health got, got it together. Yeah, there's a whole royal commission about it. We love a royal commission in this country, don't Get we? Get things done. Yeah, no, no, no. It, no, well, the, yeah, as a, as a result of that, it got us, got us the sewerage system. But um, uh, uh, another, another example is um, uh, the first woman in parliament didn't have a, didn't have a toilet um, for 31 years. In Victoria. Yeah. So the Parliament House of Victoria didn't have a toilet for women. For 31 years. Well, for, for, for more than that. But yeah, from the, from the first woman being elected to, to Parliament, um, to them being able to relieve themselves at work. Um, yeah, 31 years. There's Crazy. a famous, there's, even in that film, this just reminds me of the, of the film um, about, about the NASA engineers and how they, they had to run to a completely different building because there was no facility for women and there was no facility for w- women of colour. Hidden Figures, excellent movie. Yeah, it's on my list, I, I must confess. That's a, that's, a good, that's a good moment in, in, in the film. That's, it really represent, goes to show that the people we exclude from public life, the ex- people we exclude from participation, um, that we try to oh, you know, take away or hold back they keep leech their own agency are the ones who we don't provide these amenities to. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's the, that, that massive gap from, from men having a toilet to, to women, having women having a toilet, um, people with disabilities weren't legislated the right to be able to go to the toilet in public until 1992. 1992. It's like, it's so much more recent than you would think. These are some really confronting statistics tonight, Mitch. Wow. Yeah, well, it was only 2013 that trans people were allowed to use the, the toilet of their, like, that they identified with. I mean, like, they were doing it before. Like, people have been going to the toilet they identify with forever, but it became illegal to discriminate against them in 2013. So this protection was all put in place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Goodness, that's really shocking. It's a history of, of, of discrimination. But, but again, like I was saying in the beginning, it's also a history of societal progress. Right. Another like really interesting, like little point of, um, of, of how like toilets represent, you know, the, the progress of society is something you might see in many, uh, cafes or like, you know, like trendy cafes or something is the, the, the thank you hand soap and the, the, who gives a crap, the, who gives a crap toilet paper. Yeah. You know, that like in our toilets, we express our values. Yeah. It's a bit of a flag of, of being, um, conscious or sensitive. Yeah. For in, in in some in some settings, how inclusive are your toilets? You know that's <laughs> pretty much, and that's the reality that institutions are confronted with. So, like university um, clients who need to build new buildings, need to build new campuses, they have an obligation to provide amenity for all of their building users, that for everyone. So, they're the ones that will also very much as as large procurers of architecture, as large clients. Um, would really benefit from the the future in NCC changes that that's reflected on and institutions that have really strong um, union bodies or strong student unions get pushed pretty hard on being the better outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Unions are an interesting one. I, I worked on a project a, a little while ago that um, was a student accommodation building um, and they had they had all gender um, toilet facilities. Uh, throughout 
the building, but um, on the ground floor, it was required to put in um, more gendered toilets. And and part of the rationale behind that was because there was an older audience that would be going and using the the downstairs toilet because it was a more communal space and they might have an event or something. Um, so like, you know, just to kind of, to, to speak to the way that like different groups have different, you know, levels of, of I guess, like comfort and also. Um, and yet nobody struggles when they're on an aeroplane. No, totally. Everyone knows totally. where to go. Everyone knows what to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I always, I always come back to that point. No, I think it's a good one. I like that. I think I'd encourage anyone that uh, is feeling a little bit uncomfortable with this conversation to just sit with, think about where that sits in your body and why you, why you might feel uncomfortable with that and keep it open for the possibilities of design innovation that that we, that we see in the, in the public realm. Are there some projects in around Kingston um, area that were built or unbuilt that you also think were (laughs) excellent? Oh, that I think are excellent. Well, um, one's, <laughs> one's, one's unbuilt. I know that, um, you know, there are, there are several sort of exolus that um, well, I think they probably are still around in the city of Kingston. In many places they've, they've gone away. Um, this exolu is completely automated, self-cleaning. Horrible music. Horrible music. Um, doors automatically open after 20 minutes. Um, yeah, I think that those are sort of... A bit of a bit of a bit of a low point um, for for public toilets, and I think that um, in in doing in doing some of my research for this, I, I found like a bit of a trend in 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 what sort of common characteristics of like good toilets, um, and it's yeah, it's kind of funny because they they a lot of them do have these very similar characteristics, and um, one of them interestingly is sort of like the the deconstruction of the 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 cubicle in the wash basin and not having them as as private spaces which i think the communal hand washing a communal hand washing that's right and it's also out um it's not necessarily behind a wall or something so there's a lot of passive surveillance there that's an interesting one because it kind of goes against that gold standard that we were talking about and it would be like way better for these public toilets to just have uh fully enclosed aeroplane style you know toilet experience um but a lot of these newer like designer dunnies um you'll find that they have that communal hand washing at the front um the the cubicles that open directly out to that so there's a lot of passive surveillance they're also a lot of um natural ventilation um the roofs are often like a meter or so off of uh, the walls they sort of hover above the facility to provide um, protection from the elements but also provide a lot of natural light in that way um, so you don't have to be running the the lighting during the day um, only the night which is much more economical for councils and much better for our electricity consumption much safer yeah yeah totally no, so like it's it's good. There there has been a lot of um, there has been a good trend towards better public toilets. I think that we're we're sort of going in the in the right direction with it. Um, the sort of the importance of it is is kind of uh, taking off. There's a there's a really cool dunny in um, Bondi Beach that's sort of critically acclaimed, um, and it, it is just stunning. You know, like it's a feature. What of makes the beach. it beautiful? Why do you love it? It em- <laughs> to get architectural. It embraces the the fifth facade. It has this beautiful green roof. What's the fifth facade? The fifth facade is the roof. Okay, it's the roof, often overlooked for n- no good reason. So it's embedded in like a hobbit hole. It's not. No, no, no. It's okay. it's actually it's actually no. It's not embedded. It's um the. The roof is kind of like this floating plane okay. above it. It's it's clad in these recycled timber battens, which are really like they're they're spaced quite tightly together. It's it's really nice. And then behind that, the um, the concrete ventilates, and because of the the second skin, it's able to do so while providing a significant amount of privacy. Um, but the the roof is a is a real standout feature of it. It it comes out to a to a rounded point. Um, <laughs> it uh, like a triangle and um and there's a hole in in that roof and there's 
all of the greenery overflows, uh, you know, down down that that skylight. Oh, this sounds so lush. It is so lush. It's so lush. It's it's a yeah, really really beautiful D- designer dunnies. I love that phrase. You're you're quite right. There's particularly the ones in Japan designed by star architects. Some of the most famous architects in Japan do public toilets. Yeah. They have such a civic responsibility in their society. It would, I imagine, almost be a moral duty to design an excellent <laughs> public toilet as well as an exemplar of a, a very important critical building. Yeah. No, J- Japan Japan hits a home run with their public toilets. Um, that like they have, re- they have really beautiful their, – their public toilets – can be these really beautiful urban objects, you know, and really clever design in them. Um, there, there are so many great ones. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to just look up, like, uh, is it the Tokyo Project toilets? Just look up Japan toilets. You'll find it. It's so good architecture. It's, it's, they're the best. There's one in particular that's, um, that, that I find really interesting. It's on the outskirts of Tokyo and it's, um, it's, it is this, this glass box in a, in a 200 square meter field of, of flowers and, and greenery. And then there is a two meter high uh, log roll fence around it to provide privacy. And you walk down this beautiful stone path. It's, at, it's next to a train station um, in this sort of like semi-rural area. You walk down this, this beautiful, you lock the, the door, the gate of the fence behind you and you walk down this beautiful stone path to this clear glass dunny and you sit on your throne and do your business. And I love that. <laughs> it's so funny because I don't know if you ever, if you ever watch Rick and Morty, but that's like exactly, that's, that's Rick's like dream toilet that he made a whole universe for that you can just go to Japan and experience for yourself. <laughs> oh man, I really want to go back to Japan. If anyone's lucky enough to travel there, it is like Disneyland for adults, I say. It's yeah. like architectural paradise. There is a whole architectural tour of just going to toilets in japan in norway um you find interesting ones in europe like yeah it's it's pay for the ones in europe you do you do there's a whole business model around it in in europe this is one really interesting one i think it's called to the loo and um you it costs like two two pounds or something like that or you know a couple dollars which is much more expensive than the loos usually are over there most of them you have to pay for but this one is particularly expensive but the whole idea is that it's very well maintained it's very clean it has everything that you need it's a wonderful experience and then on your way out you get 75 percent the value of what you paid in a voucher and you can use it at their gift store <laughs> that's hilarious so it's sort of like the same cost as going to you know another and any other toilet at, at the end of the day just except, spend a couple extra bucks at the store except the business interests <laughs> suck you back in and we've almost come full circle exit through the gift shop oh no <laughs> that's so funny why do you think public toilets captivate people so much now I've heard stories of of toddlers being really obsessed and wanting to like wander in and look in um by the way anyone listening if you have a toddler who's curious about public toilets text us let us know please because we uh don't have enough data to substantiate this anecdotal theory but we've definitely uh, heard of it and, and seen it happen yeah you you know of one right what what are, what are they called like the toilet inspector a little one in in you know yeah, in, kids. in your family circles <laughs> kids the kids they get called the the toilet inspector but i think it's it's unbridled curiosity perhaps before they grow up and learn to have shame <laughs> totally. around um bodily functions or just existing in public and before that shame is piled on i think toddlers represent some sort of magical pure innocence mm. perhaps that, yeah that, that's what i wonder they can yeah like i think that they can be really really interesting objects out there on their own you know these little pavilions in the middle of play parks they can be really yeah i don't know it's interesting and they they change over time as well you also posted beautiful photos on your instagram of the art deco public toilet yeah 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 right next to the um the changing places facility in morty alec um 
yeah, that's a beautiful one. It's a, it's, it's so cool because it's so typical of, of art deco architecture style and how funny to put that on a toilet, <laughs> on a public toilet. This thing that so many people think are, are, is unimportant, you know, like what do you mean the architecture of public toilets? There's no architecture. They're public toilets. Like, no, we in, you know, we, we made an art deco one. It's that important. Yeah. Exactly. Like we, <laughs> we captured it in the style. Yeah, and that's right. W- and we always do. That's We've just shit. received another text message. Uh, there's no name, but thank you for who, whoever sent that one in. And the comment is, they have some cracking luxury temporary setups at Glastonbury. I guess that's a big music festival that happens uh, in the UK. Glastonbury, hugely popular. And for anyone who's been to a music festival knows um, how challenging and at times disgusting they can go so wrong. For want of a better word, the experience with Portaloos and Dunnies is. I'm so glad to hear that they've got a good one. Luxury setup. I wonder what that one's like. Probably have to pay extra for it. Surely it'll be free. <laughs> it's in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> not after Brexit. It's not. Oh, true. <laughs> the, the, how would you compare the growth that we've seen in, in Morty Alec from that Art Deco facility? Um. That, that has all the classic colours with the red and the cream and the green and the um, bit more ornament on it, yeah. very recognisable, to the contemporary brick expression, the contemporary brick um, one by K20. And probably probably that Art Deco one was by some humble in-house public work mm. architect probably working for the city. Did, did you do some research on, could you find who the original architect was of that one? I did, couldn't find a lead. Yeah, probably an, probably an in-house job. Um, councils at the time had in-house designers mm. and all, all the parishes did. So uh, but re- returning to my to my query, how, how would you note that change over time? Yeah, well, I think that the, the shift, you can, you can see a real shift in priorities. I think the... The, what's evident in the change from the Art Deco toilet to the Changing Places facility that, by the way, is like, what, 100 metres away from one another? They're, they're, they're quite close. Is that the the new one considers its accessibility accessibility significantly more. It's they're, they're, they're an interesting example. They're an interesting pair because they're both, you know, quite beautiful in their own ways. Um, but the Art Deco one, like, it, you know doesn't cater for all people. And there are also some blind corners, you know, the, the, the ventilation isn't as, as, as well provided, um, you know, so the, the sort of the architectural technology, you know, like the knowledge, the industry knowledge has, you can see that change a lot between the two of those toilets. Absolutely. Also, I think not just aesthetically, but there's, there's something about the, um, the Art Deco one looks very similar on the inside as it does on the outside. Yeah. But then with K20s, it's a bit of a different experience. Yeah, I actually found it to be a little bit jarring. You know, like um, when I – so, yeah, I saw that. I saw that facility get built and then, you know, when it was there in all its glory, I was like, wow, that's awesome. Eventually got around one one early morning to, to photograph it and, um, you know, get a really good – close look at the details and, and get my head around it and um, also going inside to one of the the accessible toilets there's a real shift in the design language as you go inside um, it's sort of it's all sort of from the outside beautiful sand colored brick expressive um, expressive curved forms and then when you go inside it's this completely metal experience the sort of the color temperature of it changes a little bit I sort of, I, it feels like that. It feels like you're watching a movie and the colour grade changes, you know. It's sort of, I guess it's a stylistic choice. It's also a cleanliness choice when we're thinking about toilets. That obviously, you know, the stainless steel is easy to clean. Um, and doesn't corrode. It's yeah. needs to be corrosion resistant yeah. down by down by coast. And I think that, that polycarbonate sort of mottled skylight continues inside, doesn't it? From- it yeah 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 it does it does that's actually like a really interesting point because there is an element from the outside that continues on to the inside um that natural skylight that sort of helps light it that's true and to let the listeners in 
on why that is often so appealing. We often look for that. We, we try to design that um, with a good architecture. You want to treat the interior and the exterior as part of the same building as showing the exterior on the inside, capturing that in the interior design and having um, some of those elements carry through. And it, it can be material, it could mm. be um, the colour, it could be a spatial feature, you know, a shape comes through and totally. the feeling on the inside is like that. So that's that's something that uh, we look for when we think about well, what's a great building. Mm. And also I, I love it when every um, side of a building is different. That's mm. really important for me personally that um, – I'm interested in each angle and each way you approach the building is really different. And yeah. this one does that as well. Yeah. Yeah. This one's really cool. It, it sort of, yeah, it plays with um, concave and concave, convex curves, different different impressions of the, the seashell, the figure ground of it. It's really cool. Um, yeah. It's technically challenging with brick. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I find that part of it really interesting. I um, I didn't, I sort of, I, I read the the planning application for that, that building after I photographed it but before I had done that I formed some opinions on how I thought it got its architectural style and you know two of the other um, facilities that I, that I photographed and uploaded recently is that art deco toilet but then there's also a barbecue pavilion just a bit further down the road another like 50 meters away in Morty Alec um, and I actually thought that it really drew on its context quite well the art deco toilet steps out at its at the at the facade the parapet of it steps out in the classic art deco style and the um the the barbecue pavilion actually has uh you know these these columns um that 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 taper out at the bottom and you put those two things together and you get the form of this new modern contemporary expression um that emerges out of the ground from its base um and then goes back out to the to the sky in this celebration. And there's there's bits that step out at the top are really legible. Actually, mm. it's it's very very clear. And I never noticed until actually I saw your photos side by yeah. side. Where you put your photos up on Instagram, they're really beautiful for the listeners. Check out Mitch underscore untitled. That's the correct handle. Yes, and um, just have a look how those our deco ideas and memories that the community has because architecture also carries our memories got brought into this new this new building that represents more of us being together than playing in the sand yeah yeah no it's 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 really nice it's a nice journey that that series the barbecue pavilion that was built like ages ago i don't know I, I don't I couldn't find out when it was built, but um, you know, earlier than the Art Deco toilet, I'm sure this communal facility to bring people together. And then you have the Art Deco toilet that, you know, expresses these interesting architectural ideas of the time. And then the next step along that journey is interesting architectural ideas in a public toilet that brings people together in the community. You know, it's what a crescendo. <laughs> <laughs> Great that work, K twenty. <laughs> Very well done. K20 and to <laughs> all architects who are pushing to do good work, good toilets, yes. good public toilets <laughs> and who will be putting in submissions for improvements on the NCC 2025. Your final reminder to our texter who, who texted us about Glastonbury, we're unable to receive your image. Um, so in the last few moments, if you want to send us a written description of the <laughs> luxury setup of Glastonbury, we'll happily read it out on the air. But in the meantime, I'll ask you, Mitch, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Um, oh, just some of these really good-looking public toilets. KTA is one, you know, on on that. Just, you know, be like really good, beautiful architecture serving really strong functions. That, that power of architecture being de demonstrated in the public realm, winning awards and providing greater amenity to people, you know. Uh, like lifting our society up, allowing more people to do more things. Um, yeah, the improvement of accessibility, design, it, it's all so good. That that gives me hope. Seeing really cool toilets gives me hope. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, tonight, Mitch, and for sharing all your thoughts and very thorough research on public toilets and the history of public amenities and – there's definitely so much I learned this evening 
and plenty for both myself and the listeners to take away and think about. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another evening of Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash. This live show was broadcast and recorded in the Radio Karim studio on Bonarong Country. You can replay this show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting Community Radio. Take care. Uh, hello, this is Kieran Carroll, uh, the playwright from Edith Vale, and you're on Radio Karim, a great station that gives many, many voices a chance across the city of Kingston. Go Radio Karim!